You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been in a series called uh, It Will Be Different, and uh, we, we started this last week. Uh, and the whole premise of this is we're, we're talking about where we are as a church, um, our, our culture, our DNA of where we think the Lord is leading us um, as a church and the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in his kingdom and what that looks like. And uh, I saw this article a few weeks ago um, that there was a mining company in Australia that they packed up their operation and they drove down this uh, massive highway to Perth, Australia. If you're from Australia, you know what that is. If you're not, I have no idea. Um, and so they, they drove and um, they're unloading the equipment. And after about two weeks of unloading and realizing it, they were missing a part. Now, if you're like, oh, we missed one little part, the part that they were missing was radioactive. Was not like, oh, it's not a big deal. In fact, I got a picture of this part. It's really, really small. Like that's a uh, Australian coin. Uh, but this little tiny piece of uh, machinery somehow on the truck, like it jumbled around, it was tied down, but it came loose. And so this minuscule six by eight millimeter radioactive device, they're like, well, we have to find it because like it can kill people. <laughs> like it's like, if you get near it, like, like you could die for after long exposure of, of the radiation. And so they're like, uh, the trick was, is that it was, they had it on the truck, and then when they got to Perth, it wasn't there. So like, it's only 850 miles that we have to cover to search for this thing. And they, they searched for it, and they found it, actually. It was on the side of the road shortly after it left. But I'm like, how did you not look for that? Of something, you're like, oh, the radioactive part fell off? Not like a shovel or, you know, a rock or something? Like, you seem like... the. Somebody would inventory that the moment that they arrived. Like, hey, what's the most dangerous thing we have? Yeah, let's check that first. You know, like, not just the, the other stuff, not your clipboard. But, like, they, they missed it. And for over two weeks, this thing was missing. They didn't even realize it. And they finally did this massive search to locate this missing piece. And they had to create, like, this massive containment zone where they found it on the uh, edge of the highway, like, digging up soil to eliminate all the contaminants. But man, how, how did they miss it? How did they miss something so significant and so important? And here's, here's the reality. I, I believe that we can grow up in church. You can go to church your whole life and you can miss it. Especially here in the South, because everyone, bless their heart, is a Christian, right? Because there's a, you could throw a rock and hit four churches, you know? It's either a CVS or a church on every corner. Um, it, and and the, 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 the fallacy is that growing up in the South is because we are around church so much. We become so used to it, it just becomes something we do instead of the life-altering message of the gospel and the ways of the kingdom. And so we've talked about that. What, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does this look like? We, we talked about how church is not a building, it's not a name, that, that you and I, we are the church. Individuals, people, that, that God has gifted us with talents and abilities and passions and we're to steward those and we're to leverage those to advance the gospel, to, to love people with the posture in the heart of a servant. And that's what this, this whole series is about, is, is how do we model that servant's 
heart. Um, the, the passage we looked at was Matthew 20, and the, the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, hey, who's, who's the best? Who's the most important? And Jesus addresses them like this in verse 26. He says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, in the, ways, uh, in the way of the kingdom, if you want to be great, you have to first lower yourself. If you, you want to be significant, you have to be a servant. You have to, to be a slave. You have to lower yourself in order to exalt yourself. That's the way that the kingdom works. Um, I, I love this quote by Eugene Peterson. Um, he's the one who wrote the message translation of the gospel, uh, of the Bible. Um, he said, Christian spirituality, the contemplative life, is not about us. It's about God. The great weakness of American spirituality is that it's all about us. Fulfilling our potential, getting the blessings of God, expanding our influence, finding our gifts, getting a handle on principles by which we can get an edge over the competition. The more there is of us, the less there is of God. Isn't that so true? So what, what does it mean to be a servant? We, we talked last week about why and he's, we, we should be a servant. And we looked at the example of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about what does a servant look like. And so, of course, we're going to use the greatest example, Jesus, again, right? So if you have your copy of the scripture, we're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to click there, turn there, um, or notes will be, or the passage will be on your screen as well. Um, but this is, a, this is the, uh, the setup for this. Uh, this is the Last Supper. Um, this is, they're, they're celebrating the, the Passover meal that God's people had celebrated for 1,500 years. Their, their delivery out of, um, out of captivity in Egypt as remembering God's faithfulness and God's um, pass, the, the shadow of death passing over them. They're, they're taking this meal and they're celebrating it together. And so uh, Jesus and his disciples are eating this meal together and they're in the upper room. Um, and so we're going to pick it up in John 13 and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that this hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would turn, return to God. Now, the setup for this is not just like context. This means everything, right? Jesus knew who was going to betray him. Jesus knew that God had given him full authority, that he had come from God. He had loved his disciples faithfully, even to the very moment right now. So, verse 4. He got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had had around him. I'm gonna pause there for a minute because um, I, I don't wanna ruin this for you, but the, the famous painting of the Last Supper, right? Jesus you know, gets a table for 26, but just we're gonna sit on one side of it. Um, it it's more than likely that wasn't the setting. They weren't sitting in chairs on one side of a table, but the, the way that um, they would eat, um, the, the word that was used in this was triclinium, 
Um, and it was, the, the Roman version was a lot more um, lavish, but basically it was a U-shaped table. Um, and it was a, a lower table, like to the ground. And so you would lean on one side on, on pillows, or even the, the Roman side had these couches that you would lay on with the table being in a U-shape in front. And so everyone's kind of facing each other. And so you would, you would lay on your, your, your left side because um, your, your right side was your, your clean hand. Um, they didn't have toilet paper. Let's just leave it there. Um, and so you, your, your left hand didn't come to the table. And so you, you would keep your, your feet away from you because they, they wore sandals. There's, there's no sanitation. There, there's no sewage system. There's no um, drainage in the roads. Your, your feet would get dusty and dirty and, and filthy. Even if you were clean, your, your feet would be dirty. You wouldn't come to the table and like plop, prop your feet up on the table. Like That's just unheard of. So you would, you would sit reclined at this table on your, on your left side, even if you were left-handed. Your feet would be away from you, away from where the food is. Everyone's grateful for that. I mean, and you would be eating. And so Jesus, in this moment, he, he, he gets up from the table. He fills a, a basin with water, and he takes off his robe and wraps a towel around his waist. This was the job of the lowest servant. This wasn't something that a rabbi would do, be doing. There, there, there wasn't even a, a, um, a way in which the disciples should be washing his feet. But this was the lowest of the low servant that would be doing this. As we continue, verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I am doing, but someday you will. And we always have Peter to make us feel a little bit better, although we'd probably respond just like Peter. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. He's like, How? I, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Messiah. Like, who are you to wash my feet? Why, why would you do that to me? And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Then Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands, my head as well, and not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person that is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after the washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. The word even used for, for the towel was, a, was an apron, would be a, an apron or the, uh, the piece of clothing that someone would put on in order to go to work. What's interesting is that you would... The, the servant usually would, would wash the feet, but you would come to the table with clean feet, but none of them had clean feet. Probably because they, they figured, well, if I've, I need to wash my feet, I should probably do it for everyone else. And so there's this stalemate where they all come to the table with, with dirty feet. But Jesus, in his humility and in this posture, he, he gets up 
And there's such beautiful imagery within this and how he, he, he takes off his divinity and he, and he puts on his humanity and he, he goes around and he washes the dirtiest part of his disciples. And then he washes them and dries them with the very towel, taking the dirt and the uncleanness of sin upon himself as an example of what he's about to do on the cross. Like what, what a beautiful example I mean, I mean, that doesn't kind of set the bar for us. I don't know what will. But Jesus models this to his disciples. Like, hey, what, what I've just done is an example for you. I mean, in Luke's account, they're actually, at the Last Supper, they're, they're arguing on the way to it about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus stops the whole thing. He, he gets up and he goes around and he scrubs and he washes and he dries his disciples' feet. So, the actions are two, two main areas in which in what a servant does. There's two main things. There's some subpoints for today. But one is we have to look at the actions of a servant. As we unpack this, we have to look at the, the actions. And if we're going to talk about what is a servant, like who is a servant, how does a servant conduct themselves, how do we have the, the posture of a servant, um, we need to look at the actions, not just the, the theory of it, but what are the actions? One is that the actions of a servant are rarely convenient. They really are. When, when you serve someone else, when you go out of your way, we're not just talking about serving within the context of the body of, of the church, uh, but serving in our daily lives to our family, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our strangers, like, it's rarely convenient. You're rarely sitting around like, man, I've got an hour to kill and I, I made an extra portion of a meal tonight, and I just hope someone gets sick. So not, I hope they get sick, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I hope I have an opportunity to serve someone. It's usually at like the worst possible time. It's rarely convenient. And it, like, nothing is ever convenient. Like uh, Friday, I was, uh, I was studying. I was upstairs in the bonus room. The house was quiet. Kids were at school. Wife was out. And I was studying, and I heard this noise in the kitchen. And I'm like, did the ice fall out of the ice maker? I know my fridge has been acting crazy, but so I go downstairs and my dog's just like staring like, I didn't do it. Who's, you know, what's going on? And I look and there was a thermos of uh, what used to be a smoothie. I think my wife had it a few days before um, and she didn't drink it all. And the smoothie is knocked over on the counter. It's spilled all over the counter. It's all down the floor. Across from that counter, it's on the cabinets. And I look up and it's on the ceiling. And I'm like, what? It's on the island? Somehow, I guess pressure had built up and the top of this, this thing had exploded. It hit the ceiling. It bounced over across the kitchen to the other side. I was like, how does this even happen? And I wanted to be like, if I just walk away right now and she finds it when she gets home, <laughs> it's not my mess, right? And so I'm cleaning, it's like underneath like the, the trim, like between, the, I'm like fishing paper towels to try to like lure the liquid back underneath. Like, like nothing in life is ever convenient, is it? Now that's not an opportunity, an, an example of just serving, man, it's just like taking care of your stuff and diligence, but like, but an opportunity to serve and to love people is rarely going to be convenient. Jesus didn't happen to be washing his own feet. Jesus got up from the meal. 
He stopped the enjoyment. He stopped the nourishment. He got up from what he was doing and humbled himself to wash his disciples' feet. Living a life of a servant is rarely convenient. But God hasn't called us to convenience, did he? God has called us to do something significant with our lives. So, I mean, I know there's a thousand, 10,000 other things we'd rather be doing that are more fun. But is our life just centered around our, our comfort or, or is God calling us to do something different? So, we have the, um, it's really convenient. The second thing, to benefit the good of others. The actions of a servant will always be the benefit, the good of others. It's not this backhanded, I'm going to serve you in hopes that you serve me in return. But truly, to the actions of a servant should be without strings, without um, uh, undertones of trying to receive something backwards, but a life of a servant is just, what can I do to love others? What can I do to benefit the good of others? Um, my family and I, sometimes we, we like to play video games together. Um, if you ever played Mario, uh, I know everyone's played Mario, but on like a Switch or a, a Nintendo Wii, and that's old school, um, you can play four-player Mario. And um, if you want to test the joy in your home and your family and how well you guys can navigate through conflict in life, I just, I encourage you, do that. You may need counseling afterwards, but it's fine. Uh, because the way that you play it with four players is every person is on the screen and, and uh like if everyone goes and like you're left behind, you get dragged along and you just are at the whims of, of everyone else. And it is, it is utter chaos. Like everyone's like, oh, there's something over here. I'm gonna get it. And everyone's fighting. It's like, no, don't do that. You're jumping on each other's heads. You're knocking each other down. You're like, and then you can do this thing where you hit a button and it just puts you in a bubble. You're like, I'm just out of the way. And then you wanna catch up. And so you have to shake the remote. And so watching us, Without a screen, it's like, like, stop, that's mine. I need a bubble. Come back here. I need, you're dragging me behind. It's like this, everyone's out for themselves. I know you guys are awesome, and your family would never be like that. But it is like, we need to take it in breaks, and we haven't played in a while, and maybe we'll break it back out sometime soon. But it is just it's like, and, and the, the essence of it is everyone wants for themselves. Everyone is worried about, you left me behind. I want the star. No, I want the firepower. I want this. I want this jumping over each other's head. And is that not a picture of the world? Is that not the picture of, of, of selfishness to the core of humanity? Is that we are willing to push others aside in order to get ahead, in order to do what benefits us. But Jesus says, look, look, look. You want to be great. You want to get ahead. Here's how you do it. You put others first. You're willing to humble yourself and do the thing that no one wants to do. And not for recognition. Not to be like, hey, look at me washing disciples' feet, you know? Hashtag humble. <laughs> right? It's not so people can be like, wow, look how special, look how godly they are. No, Jesus said, look, look at what I just did for you. Model that. Let your life not be about you. That's how you become great. That's how you impact other people. We do things for the good of others. 
Um, Alicia Britt Cole, an author of this devotional I love reading during Lent, she says this. She says, self cannot satisfy self no matter how long it feasts. Uh, fast can, uh, self cannot starve self no matter how long it fasts. Decrease is only holy when its destination is love. Think about that. The more selfishly, selfish we become and selfishly we act, the more selfishly we hunger. But the greatest ways to, to, of death to self is, is to starve that. So benefit the good of others. The third way, the actions of a servant are an example to others. It's an example to others. That's why, like, if you think about it, like the whole idea of like the, the paying it forward when someone, remember that, the trend when someone was paying for your order in the drive-through and then you're like, oh, I'll do it out of obligation sometimes or out of shame because you don't want to be the one to break the thing. Um, or you, you really, you're like, oh, that's just so cool. I want to pay for the person behind me. Remember this was going on a couple years ago? But it's this idea too, but think about it, is, is when we see others living selflessly, when we see other people serving, it, it's just like, Motivation, one, it's an example for others to follow, but we're like, why didn't I think of that? It's like when you go to a Mexican restaurant and you order fajitas, right? Everyone in the restaurant knows what you're eating. It's like you, you feel like a king because it's like this sizzling platter of meat and veggies before you're like, yeah, I'm important. They did this just for me. It's like, shh, steam, you're getting a facial from the, you know, it's, it's nice and greasy, but it's, it's just like everyone sees it and you're like, ooh, I should have got that. Right? That, that's how our lives should be. We should live lives that people look at us and like, wow. Not because we're like, look at me. But because we serve others and we're, we're, our lives are an encouragement to other people. They're like, man, I, I need to get my acting gear. Or hey, I, I should have thought of that. And it's, it's either conviction or it's encouragement. But it, it pushes us towards the goal of less of us and more of God. The actions of a servant are contagious to the world around it. You know why? Because it's refreshing. Because in a thirsty world, living water is refreshing, is what we need. So an example to others. And number four, it's a reflection of the gospel at work. I mean, it, it's, that's the message of the gospel. Like it's, it's a reflection of it working in our hearts and in our lives. Like, you think about somebody like Mother Teresa, like, you, you, no one's going to argue with her life that her life wasn't lived for the good of others, of those that could not repay her or, or, or do something back in return for her. But a, a measure of how much God has transformed us is by looking at the wake around our lives and, and how does it benefit others. It's a good indication of how God continues to work on you and I. He continues to, you could be following Jesus for 80 years. You still have room to grow. We all do. That's the beauty of it all. It's a journey. And the, the, the more and more we follow Jesus, the more we are convicted of sin, and the more we are convicted with, with our selfish desires, and the more and more we want to put those at the feet of Jesus and change. So, we have four ways to look at the actions of a servant and how we act it out. But most importantly, we have to look at the attitude. The attitude of a servant is, is massive. And so uh, if you have a Bible, flip forward. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. I read this, uh, a portion of this last week. 
But Philippians chapter two um, is so convicting, and we could just read this and go home. Um, but the attitude of Christ, verse one in Philippians two. Actually, I'm going to start at verse three. It says, "Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble." thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus did, had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to glory of God the Father. So the attitude of a servant, one, protects our heart. When we have the attitude of a servant, it protects our heart. It helps us from, the enemy of a servant's heart is, is pride. It is. It's, it's, it's about us. It's about, that's below me, that's beneath me. I mean, God, Jesus himself didn't even think that equality with God was something to to be grasped or to cling to, but he laid down his divinity, fully God, fully man. But it wasn't like, look look at the power in which I hold. And he humbled himself to the form of a servant, and then God exalted him to the place where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This upside down kingdom Other translations of that say, do nothing from rivalry or vain conceit. Um, We we get the word doxology. Many people know doxology. It's sometimes a short hymn that um, in a traditional church maybe be sung at the the end of every um, service, every gathering. But this word doxology comes from doxa, which is is basically like to give God glory, glory to God. Um, but the word used in this is kinodoxa, which means our glory. He says, don't do anything for your own glory. It's vain. It's empty. It will leave you wanting more. He's saying, hey, our, our hearts will try to manufacture glory. And, and what's interesting, too, is, is in this posture, like James makes it clear, is that, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You think about, you ever watch like uh, the, the weigh-in before boxers or before like an MMA fight and it's like this like standoff and they're trying to like intimidate one another. And I, and I always kind of picture this in my head. Maybe it's not a great way to picture it. But that word like opposes is, is being in opposition to God, is being at odds with God, of being being against God on the opposite side of things. Like, literally saying that if we are prideful, if we have pride in our hearts, we're in, we're in opposition to God. I don't know about you, but that's, that's an automatic L. Like, that's, that's the place that you're gonna lose. It says God opposes 
the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the greatest ways and easiest ways to change how you see God working in your life is put death to pride. And that's not a one-time prayer or a, oh, you know what, I just realized there was pride. I never struggle with it anymore. I think you actually do in what you just said, but it's like, it's a daily thing. It's a momentary thing. God, God, let this not be about me. God, death, death to myself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed to God. I don't want to be in, in opposition to Almighty God. And when we take the posture of a servant, when we're willing to love the least of these, when we're willing to, to serve, to do things that no one would ever know, because we're not doing them from recognition, it says that God lifts up the humble. He opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. The second thing is that the attitude of a servant protects our minds. The attitude of a servant protects our minds. Humility is just agreeing with reality, that we are created beings made by an awesome creator God who is infinite in love and power, who exists outside of time and space. Like, like humility is just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of nothing, right? Um, there, there are countless, countless studies, even outside of, of of the ways of Jesus, of just looking at the health benefits mentally of volunteering. Those that volunteer, there is a massive reduction in the amounts of depression and anxiety in those that live their lives for other people. Do you realize that? Like non-Christian studies, like everyone's in agreement that when you live a life not centered around you, that, that mental health increases. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not... I'm not as arrogant to say that your battle with depression and anxiety is as simple as you serving other people, but it's a component of it. It's a, it's a way for us to, to, to zoom out. It's almost like God designed us this way, right? That our, our lives aren't supposed to just be about us, but the, the, the world sees it. It protects our mind. It protects our heart. And lastly, the attitude of a servant is a posture of, weak, of meekness, not weakness. The, I feel like in, in, in sometimes in the church world, but in the eyes of, of the world, it's, it's almost like this attitude of a servant is just, well, you're weak. You're just a doormat. You're just, uh, God just wants puppets. God is just trying to control you, and so you need to lower yourself to the posture of a servant. But, but meekness is, is actually not that at all. Meekness is, is power under control. Jesus, God himself, took the posture of a servant. Like, that, 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 is, that is absolute power under control and willingly submitted. Think about it. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, right? In the, in the beginning was the Word, right? Nothing existed outside of what God created through the Word. Like, He is all powerful, He's holy, he's, he's perfect. He is immeasurable for us to even begin to comprehend. He is amazing, He is perfect. And yet, 
he stepped out of heaven and took up the form of a human and lived a perfect life. And Jesus himself was, was willing to humble himself to wash his disciples' feet. Like, that's the message of the gospel. Every other world religion is about what you can do with your life to try to earn your way up to their deity. Every, every man-made religion is about works, is about what you can do in order to, to earn enough, to do enough good things. But the, the truth of, of Christianity, the, the truth of Jesus is that he did everything. That he, he stepped out, that he came to us, that he humbled himself. And the, the entryway for that is not that we have to know everything, but we just need to know one thing, our need for him. That when we get to a point and we humble ourselves and realize that, God, I can never do enough to be in right standing with you. There's not enough works, there's not enough songs, there's not enough diapers to change, people to love, meals to cook. There's nothing that I could do to earn right standing with Almighty God. The message of the gospel is that he made a way. That if we, I mean, the Bible is clear, if we, we humble ourselves, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. saved. It is perfect power in a surrendered form that God, Jesus, surrendered himself to death on the cross. So it's, it's not weakness, it's, it's actually strength. And I think the barrier to that usually is often pride, for being honest. We think that but that's, that's not something that I, I should do, maybe somebody else should do it. It's somebody else's spiritual gifting we can, we can justify it all day long, but look, the system of the law is easy to figure out, right? You get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. Some call it karma. Like the, 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 the system is where you, you get what you deserve, but the system of his grace, grace it's, it's foreign to us. He deals with us not in accordance to what we've done, but according to who he is. That's grace. That's mercy. And we see that God himself had the posture and the heart of a servant so that we would live our lives differently. That if we've put our faith in Jesus, that for us it would be different, that we look at the world differently. We, we have the actions of a servant, but we have the heart as well. God, that this is, this is not only just beneficial to the world, it's beneficial to me. Like I wanna, I wanna walk in step with how the Holy Spirit is leading me. I want other people to see the gospel at work in me and through me. Because there's a world out there that's broken, that's hurting. And we don't look down upon it. But let us be men and women, men and women who are willing to humble ourselves, to get down and to serve and to love and to pray and to sacrificially love people. So maybe that before they even hear the gospel, they see it. Let me pray for us today. Father, we thank you 
that you've modeled for us in perfection what it means to be a servant. That in all of your ways, in all of your perfect ways, is that we look at the life of Jesus, we see sacrifice and servanthood. We, we see love and we see compassion and we see mercy and we see grace. Oh God, let us be people who extend that in which we have received to the world around us. Not looking to build a platform or recognition, but God, out of just acts of surrender and acts of awe that we would truly love the world around us, that we would serve wholeheartedly wherever we go, not just doing works, but God, out of a revelation of what you've done for us. There's, there's nothing that we could do to earn right standing. So, so it's pointless to do works in order to earn your love because that's not how it works. But because we are loved, because we are called, because you have placed your Holy Spirit in us, you've given us purpose to live out. That out of a response to that, our lives would look different. And God, may it be a great difference to the world around us that's scratching and clawing, trying to find significance, trying to find value. But our value is found in Christ alone. So Lord, let us be those people, whether it's within the context of, of church Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or in the, the body here, or whether it's out there, Lord, let us have the posture of a servant. Not for manufactured glory, but to you be the glory, and you be the glory alone. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome rest of your week, and we'll see you guys next Sunday. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.